Welcome to episode 4 of the Mr Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. Something a bit different for you this episode. In the dark and distant days of 2000 to 2003, I was a geeky, undergraduate, economic student at St Catherine's College, Cambridge. Not quite the cool maths teacher I am today. Now, when I got my offer through from Cambridge, I seriously considered turning it down, as I felt I would be out of my depth and wouldn't fit in at all, surrounded by a load of posh, rich southerners. As it turns out, I had the best three years of my life. Uh, Well, until I met my wife, of course. Just in case you're listening, Kate. Anyway, so, as a result, I have always tried to encourage as many of my students as possible to apply for Oxford and Cambridge. And each year, I help out with their personal statements and run mock interviews, whatever subject the students are applying for, to try to give them as good a chance as possible of getting an offer. This year, we had four of our Year 13 students who successfully made it through to the interview process. And when they were all safely back in sunny Bolton, we sat down to talk about their experiences. I hope what follows will be useful and interesting to both you and your students if they are thinking about applying or if you just want to hear some of the tricky maths questions they got asked. The subjects our students applied for were physics, history and economics, experimental psychology and straight economics. I asked the students lots of things, including what should you include in your personal statement? What was the most useful thing you did in preparation for your interview? What actually happens on the day of the interview? What questions did you get asked and what happens if you don't know the answer? And finally, what is the single best piece of advice you could give someone thinking of applying to Oxford or Cambridge? I've also saved up my favourite interview question that one of my students got asked to be our podcast puzzle, and it's a classic. So make sure you stick around at the end of the podcast for that. And just a reminder, you can contact me with questions for my future podcast guests on Twitter, where I am at MrBartonMaths or via my website and blog, which can be found at mrbartonmaths.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or anywhere else using the info on the podcast page. And if you fancy giving us a review on iTunes, that will be superb. Well, so long as you give us a good review. Otherwise, it won't be so great. Quite the opposite, in fact. Anyway, enough of me. Let's listen to Thornley's Finest. I'll see you on the other side. So, to kick things off, let's introduce ourselves. So, let's go around the table and if you can say your name, the college and university you applied for, and your chosen subject. Starting with you, Ben. I am Ben Norris. I applied for physics at Oxford and I applied to Trinity College. Uh, I'm Joe. Uh, I applied for history and economics at Oxford and I applied to St Anne's College. Uh, I'm Rob. I've applied to King's College in Cambridge and my chosen subject is economics. Hi, I'm Shaba. I've applied for experimental psychology at Oxford for Wadham College. Yeah, it's like a bad episode of University Challenge so far, so good, good start. Right, let's kick things off um, talking about the application process. Um, so I'm interested here in when you all started your application, how did you choose your college, and have you got any advice for our millions of listeners for writing a good personal statement? So let's start with Mr Joe Marshall. Well, uh, I started my application 
realistically, I started writing my personal statement over summer, end of summer holidays, because uh, I wanted to get a first draft down uh, and have something to work with when we came back to college. Um, in terms of the rest of my application, uh, the written work I submitted was my history coursework, so that was started throughout the start of the year, um, right up to just before I submitted it, which was, I think, the 11th of November. And um, the actual UCAS application, again, I started very soon after we went back to college to make sure I had plenty of time to alter anything, um, go back and change anything that was not correct or edit my personal statement and things like that. And your, because I had the, the pleasure of reading your personal statement, so it was a very, very good one. Um, have you any advice for people listening how to write a good personal statement? What, what did you feel had to go in there? My, my best advice in terms of writing it was, uh, the best thing I did was starting it early because I had time to edit anything I needed to. In terms of the actual personal statement, I think um, the advice I didn't get was about the first paragraph and the best thing I found was when I spoke to somebody who did my course at Oxford, um, getting a strong first paragraph, quite substantial uh, academic content, rather than one of the things that I was actually told to include was work experience, mm. and I ended up not including that, and there was no benefit for me to include work experience. Obviously for like a medicine course or anything like that you'd need to, but for a history, history degree, there was no use in me actually putting that in, so that saved me some characters to bulk up my first paragraph and make that stronger. Right, so you were straight in with the big stuff about you know, the academic rigour needed to apply for your course and why you enjoyed the course and left all the pers- yeah. left all the other stuff out. Now, that sounds very, very sound advice. Um, ben, when did, you, when did you start your application? Um, like Joe, I probably started at the end of summer, but I'd say you to best prepare, like... It's probably got to be about eighty percent academic, and you've got to read some like good texts over the summer. So when you finish like year twelve and you have that long summer, just look for your course at Oxford or Cambridge and look at the recommended reading list. And I read a few books off that, and then you can include it in your personal statement. And also, that increases your knowledge around that subject quite a lot. So I thought that was quite beneficial to your personal statement. That's sound advice, yeah. and obviously, um, I'm sure none of you would ever do this. Don't put a book on there that you've, you've never read, or have no intention, no intention. Nush, we used something similar for you, was it there? Um, and any advice for anybody with the, in terms of the personal statement? Yeah, it's the same. I think it is mainly academic and showing your interest for the subject. Even if you are um, putting work experience or anything personal, for example, books, you want to link it back to your subject that you're doing at Oxford or Cambridge. Um, in terms of choosing your college, I didn't open an application because I couldn't choose, and then they just picked one for me. Okay, and that's, again, good advice. Um, Rob, we won't bother asking you about your personal statements. <laughs> <laughs> so your listeners back home, Rob left us a little late. You got him an interview. Okay. Uh, Definitely lost it. Let's talk about um, interview prep now, because obviously for uh, once, you've, once you've chosen your college and once, you, once you've chosen your course and once you've got your personal statements in there, your next thing is uh, is getting an interview and preparing for that interview. And for many people, it'll be the first time they've done an interview like this, and it's quite a, quite a scary prospect. So, Nishab, I want to start with you. Um, once you found out that um, you got an interview, well, firstly, what was the kind of turnaround time? When did you find out to, in terms of, and then how many days after was your interview, and how did how did you prepare for it, and what, what was the most useful part of prep that you did? I found out that I got an interview about a week before they commenced, um, once I found out, I think I went over my personal statements just to make sure I, I remembered everything that was in there, that um, I'd read all the things that were in there, just to catch back on it. And then um, what I did was I did research for my subject, making sure I had specifics 
um, for example, experimental psychology, you want to be able to name research and psychologists. And then um, I had a mock interview, which I think was the best best thing for it because it gave Everybody me. Into you as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all right. <laughs> and um, yeah, the the mock interview helped the most. I think it was the most beneficial because it put, because it put you in a situation in which is very similar to how mine actually went. Um, so it gave you sort of a preparation and what to expect. And it's just because I find this when I when I do a lot of mock interviews, it's it's just for the first time talking out loud about your subject and, and even the obvious questions, why this college, why why your course, unless you've actually spoken out loud, it's it can be quite a daunting experience if you're doing it for the first time in, in the proper interview. So I think that is good advice to people there, is, is just do a mock interview, even if it's just with your mum, dad, whoever, just get used to talking about, about your subject. Um, how, how about you, Rob, on this one? How, genuinely, how did you prepare for your, prepare for your interview? What was the most useful part of the prep that you did, do you think? Uh, so I phoned out three weeks before, which was quite mm. quite a long time. So this I, is Economics at Cambridge, right? Economics at Cambridge, yeah. So I did two mock interviews with you. Um, also, on, like, I went on YouTube just how to, like, how to speak... There's a there's a video on the YouTube uh, Cambridge interview prep, so I watched that, and then I don't know in my personal statement I mentioned a lot of things in economics, so I was, I was so I mentioned like game theory, so I was me- making sure I knew absolutely everything on it, and then development economics, I made sure I knew the ins and outs of that. So if they asked me in my interview, I wouldn't stop. And I think that, again, that's that's very solid advice. If you put something down in your personal statement, there's no guarantee they're going to ask you, but you want to have your bases covered. If, if like Rob, you say you're one of the world's leading experts on game theory, yeah. and then you haven't heard of the prison style ever or anything like that, you, you're in a bit of trouble. So, yeah, doing the research is, is absolutely right. That's, that's very sound advice. Um, I want to turn to the logistics of the actual day. Um, so, Ben, can you just talk us through um, when did you go down to, to Oxford and what actually happened building up to the, the interview itself? <laughs> Alright, so um, I got an email a week before saying, will you report to the Lodge at Trinity College at midday on Monday? So I got down on the Sunday and they provided accommodation for me at the college. But on Monday I didn't have anything to do, I didn't have any interviews on Monday at all. And for physics I have three interviews. So I went down on Sunday, didn't do anything, went down on Monday, just stayed in the college and didn't do anything really. And who are you, are you with your family at this stage? Or no, I just went down by myself from... Bolton on the train and met a few people there, um, but my interview started on the Tuesday, so I had my first interview on 9am on Tuesday and then 2pm on Tuesday and then another on Wednesday and there were 20 minutes each, um, each with two professors of physics at Oxford and yeah. Um, what did you do yourself on that, on that Monday when you, you had no interviews? Um, I think most people would probably go to like the GACR or something and socialise and I'd recommend that definitely. I didn't really, I, I felt it was a good time to prepare for my interview. It's all down to you really. I know my roommate who was staying with me just went and had a look around Oxford. Oh, so did you get assigned, you were in a, you shared a room or something? Yeah, there was two rooms and then like a common room at Trinity College. So I spent most of the time in like the common room. Um, but you, you, you can do what you want really if you want to clear your head and walk around Oxford and look at a few sites, you can do that. That's probably better than what I did and stay in your room by yourself and prepare. But I think you've hit the nail there. It's whatever works for you, right? Yeah. If you, if you relax. It was reassuring you... for me that 
I could do some work before my interview. Yeah, and if better I start, or if you're better talking to people, yeah, you're absolutely right. You do whatever, whatever. Um, Joe, is it something similar to you? How did your kind of the, the day or the days leading up to the interview? What, what were you doing? Well, same as Ben. Really, I got there the night before for interviews to commence the next day. And this Oxford um, as well. And Oxford, yes, yeah, St Anne's. Um, so I stayed overnight the day before my interviews as well. Um, I actually took some uh, college work down to be getting on with, but pretty quickly I found out when I got down there that. I wasn't really in the right mindset to be thinking about doing actual college work, so mo- I sort of focused more on interview prep when I was working. Um, but probably one of the be- better choices I made when I was down there was to try and speak to other people who were doing my subject because it sort of puts your mind at rest quite a lot. Um, and when obviously, if, if they're doing your subject, you can sort of talk to them about the subject, and it sort of confirms to yourself that you do have good knowledge and that you'll you'll be okay in the interviews. Really, um, it's nice to know other people in the same position as you. Uh, and then whenever I wasn't with the people I did meet down there, I sort of uh, went into Oxford um, just to clear my head and sort of find out about uh, the, the town, really. Okay, superb stuff. Well, it's the moment we've all been waiting for, the, the interview itself. So I'm going to go around now, and I'd like Rob to start here, and just, I want you to talk us through the kind of how the interview went in terms of how many interviews did you have, how many people were asking you questions, and I'm also interested in what, what were some of the questions they asked you and how did you respond to it? And what happens if you didn't know the answer and all that? So just talk us through the interview. If we just go one at a time, start with you, Rob. So this is economics at Cambridge, right? Yeah, at King's, yeah. Uh, so I had a pre, pre-reading pre material to collect one hour before interview. So I went to the room, collected that, and I had an hour to uh, read through this booklet, what they gave me. It had four mass questions, I had to choose from three. And it had a economist article on oil prices. So basically, I had to pick three mass questions, work through them, and then read through the article and uh, think about things I can talk about or what they will ask me. So when I got there, there was a, a woman who introduced herself, led me to a room, and then there was a man and a woman who were both interviewing me. So first we went through the article and... Uh, yeah, what are you asking me there? Uh, so it was, it was about uh, OPEC and uh, oil prices and the, the general market for oil. So we were just talking about like what what causes the the changes in price. So demand side and supply side. What do you think? What do you think of OPEC and all that stuff? And then like when I, when I did stall a few times, or like they, they'd ask quite challenging questions. What made you think? And. Um, yeah, they, they, I felt like they were challenging, but if you did stall, they did try and help you as well. So it's quite a friendly kind of conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought when, when you're going in, you're really intimidated, but like as soon, soon as I saw the woman who introduced me, she was like really friendly. The man was also really friendly. So I, I wasn't, as soon, as soon as I got in, I was at ease. Okay. Now, people listen to this, this has obviously got a, a huge maths following this podcast, and it'll be no surprise to you all there. So people are desperate to know some of these maths questions. Now, you're going you're gonna to save one of them until the end as our podcast puzzle, but can you give us, can you give us an example of uh, some of the others? That, yeah, uh, so, uh, so one of them was a function, which just had a linear, a linear expression on the top, and then a quadratic expression on the bottom. And then they basically said, draw it. So I had to do, I had to find asymptotes, stationary points. Yeah, basically that. Bit of FP1. But yeah, basically FP1 uh, drawing. Uh, graph, yeah. And you don't love that. Yeah, because of you. Thanks, <laughs> 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 You won't edit that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> you remember the other question they asked you? Yeah? The other one you chose? Uh, 
will serve the puzzle. Okay, of course you will. And then there was, I had two to choose from. One was, I think it was on Poisson distribution, distribution of train times and stuff in Cambridge. Rule, but rule that out. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not strong on that. So I had the other one, which was, I can't really describe what topic it was. It was more, it was um, a problem with five pirates on a ship. You'll probably find it somewhere on the internet. It's probably a famous problem. Mm. Uh, they had a hundred coins, and then the oldest pirate decides the allocation of the coins, and the other four pirates have to decide whether they'd accept that allocation or not. So at first I was puzzled. I didn't know which. I, I literally had no clue to start from. But the guy said, "Right, think of it with two people. So if you've got one, the oldest person will say, right, 'Right, I'm having all the hundred, and the uh, the second person." I'll give the second person zero coins because at least half the people have to accept. Ah, and if they don't, if half the people don't accept, they're dead. Right? Yeah, they're half. dead. Right. So if there's two people, then the second, the first guy's going to say, "I'm having everything," and you're not because, and he's going to vote that he's happy with it. The other person's yeah. going to vote he's not happy. Fifty-fifty. So it passes. It passes. Yeah. So then, basically, that happened, and then you say, "Right, and think of it with three people, and think of it with four people, and think of it with five, and that generally build up." to a general answer but crucially he was kind of helping yeah. you struggle I, I did, str- I did struggle because I I don't know the, I'm, I'm not really just that type of question really. you don't really see it on A level or you never really come across questions yeah. like that but he did guide me through it and I think I, I did contribute quite a bit to the answer to the final answer was good any questions about your personal statement or anything like that no surprisingly I only had one interview as well which lasted 25 to 30 minutes but yeah the, Without saying rude, it didn't seem like they even read it. To be honest, it just—it was just literally a, uh, an interview on economics and math knowledge. So they probably spent as much time reading it as you spent writing it. Nishaba, so. <laughs> 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 um, what was your interview situation like? So again, just to remind the listeners, with his experimental psychology at Oxford. At Oxford. Yeah, um, I for my first interview, I was given preparation material, so I had to. Um, the first one I was given it half an hour before and it was an article on how core knowledge impacts learning for children and um, I just had to read the article and he told me that he was going to ask what it was and what it's saying and why it's saying that and then once I went in the first thing they did was they put me at ease they told me um, we're not trying to trip you out we're going to just ask you how how your knowledge is and they put me at ease straight away I had two professors um, in that one um, and the, most of the interview um, was based on how you answered the first question. What, um, why did you pick experimental psychology? Okay. And depending on how you answered that was depending on the rest of the interview. And in, in between I got um, an experiment um, to look at and they, it was fictional, but you had to just explain it, say what was wrong with it. And they also gave me what, some... What experiment was? It was on a memory and um, it was this person testing if a drug to enhance memory works. Um, and they got a choice of words at the start. Um, they had to see how much they could remember and then after like a six week period of the drugs they were asked to the experiment again and you just had to explain what was wrong with it how um, the second time did they get the same words because that wouldn't help because I've seen it before practice and and things like that and they just kept pushing you okay. um, if you did not know the answer they, they were completely fine with that they, they tried to explain it themselves or they gave you a prompt and then try and push you I did get some stats questions, but they were very simple, just probability, what's probability of two things happening at the same time, getting a six on a dice, it was pretty simple. But they did help you if you were getting stuck. Um, My interview lasted around 25 to 30 minutes, but my second interview um, at a different college, which was at Christchurch, um, was a lot more based on my AS level knowledge, that's the first thing they asked. Um, But yeah. 
Give us a little example of something they asked you in that second interview. Um, they were just like, um, so you did air level psychology, what was your most favourite part, uh, part of it? What interested you the most? Um, and so, and then from then on, they asked you questions about what, what, you, what your answer was. So I said social influence and milligrams, and then uh, they brought up um, every question about that, what was wrong with it, what was alright with it, um, basically everything that I did in air psychology, so that was a lot second interview was a lot easier than the first one. Right, so that was testing kind of existing knowledge, whereas yeah. the first one was you were given some source material and kind of applying your knowledge yeah. to something. Like yeah. And you made you made a little joke, right, in the second interview? I made a pun. Here we go. Risky policy. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, uh, uh, Milgram's experiment involved giving electric shocks to um, anyone who got an answer wrong. And he asked me why that was that intrigued me the most. And I explained it at first, but then at the end I dropped a bit of um because it shocked me the most. Oh, <laughs> and I, oh, and it slipped and I said no pun intended, but he laughed. He laughed. Well if you don't get it, it, we know why. <laughs> 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 That's good enough. Uh, ben, how about yours? So again just remind us this is physics. Physics. Straight uh, straight physics. Straight just straight up physics. So mine's mine's like completely academic. I don't really get asked any questions on my personal statement and on Monday. We did have a meeting before the interview process started and they basically said, we've read your personal statement, don't be offended if we don't ask you any questions on it. But on my first interview they said, why do you want to study physics? But that was literally two minutes long, it was like, I couldn't even get anything out pretty much, I wanted to go into the different interpretations Mm -hmm. of quantum mechanics and stuff. And it basically just stopped me and said, right, we'll just go straight into the questions, so all questions pretty much. Um, my first interview was um, physics, and it, the first question was, "How many air molecules would you breathe in in one year?" So, first question straight in. So like, no, no pre-course material. Nothing. Just nothing. Straight no, in. Hello. Don't get any pre- Hi, yeah. Ben. Nice to meet you. How many air molecules? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and how did, you, how did you approach that one? Um, I don't want to blow everyone who doesn't do physics, but if you do want to do physics, think about. Um, it's all about assumptions, so I assumed that my my lungs weren't weren't the shape they are. I assumed that they were like kind of like a rectangular shape, like three D. So I worked out the volume, all my assumptions. Um, then I said the density of air is one point two, so assume that it's one. Um, then from that, you can use density equals mass over volume to work out the mass, and then you know that nitrogen dominates about eighty percent of the air composition. In which the interviewer, it, it'll keep helping you, and he just said, um, well, assume that it's 100%. So then use your uh, number of moles equals mass over relative atomic mass, and you know the relative atomic mass of nitrogen is 28. So then you can work out the number of moles, and then use Avogadro's constant and multiply by the number of moles to get are the number you, of moles. Are you writing stuff down whilst this is happening? Or? Yeah, you've got, um, they give you a whiteboard, um, but this, most of my interviews were a lot of logic which took me by shock pretty much so they said what's what's the last three digits well they said what's the last digit of 10 factorial well this will hook up the crowd yeah I know all the last last people what's the last digit of 10 factorial obviously you're right so I I panicked and like oh well you're 10 by 10 so zero okay great (laughs) (laughs) Um, what's second to last and that took me a a bit longer and I was thinking which number should I multiply so four times four, 20, times by 20. So it's got to be another zero. Third one, it's something a bit longer. And so he, then he asked what the third to the last is. Third, third to last, yeah. And then he, he, he just stopped me after about 
10 seconds of trying to work it out, which, like, panicked me a bit, but I wouldn't be panicked if, like, you were in that scenario. Um, the second interview was maths, again, at Trinity. That went a bit better, but it was kind of daunting that I was sat in the middle of a room and then there was two interviewers quite far away from me. But once I was in there, they were really nice with you. They were just making jokes and everything, so... That put me at ease. But again, nothing to do before the interview, no prep. No prep at all, no. Very little mention of personal statements. No, the only thing that we mentioned is, oh, I read your personal statement, I believe you had Charles from Manchester United. And then give me some banter on um, what football series supposed to be. Like, I spoke Wickham Wonders and no one. Jesus. Okay. So I had three interviews pretty much, one at Queen's as well. Oh, and yeah. that's That was my and physics at 25 minutes, and I thought that went quite well, to be honest. Um, Can you give us any of the other maths problems you got to ask? They said, what's what's um, a very close approximate value to the value of sine 31? Oh. Um, so I said, How did you approach that? Well, sine 31, I just split it up into sine of 30 plus 1, yeah. and then used, oh, we've not got done core 4 yet, but then used the double angle formula. Yeah. Um, use that, and then for very close approximations of like, of like, such as sine one, you can assume that sine x just equals x. Um, so you've got to convert it to radians. So sine one equals pi over one eighty, and then I just assumed that it was x. So um, it's just pi over one eighty, and then know your um, special angles as well. That's something worth revising. So sine thirty half sine 60 root 3 over 2 and then just plug the numbers in and you'll get it out kind of thing and I think that the message coming through from Ben here is and for, from all that we've heard so far is just you're not expected to get the answer straight away yeah. and it's about articulating your thinking right yeah, so definitely. Say, there's no point you being there in silence with your thoughts in your head say what you think no, and they'll kind of help you all and that. they'll tell you that before the interview they'll say like pretty much we probably don't even know the answer at this stage but that's what one of them said to me um, so just articulate what you're thinking and everything like that that's great thanks Ben how about you Joe talk us through so again just remind us this is Oxford and this is what course uh, history and economics history and economics yeah um, so I, I had two interviews I had one one for history one for economics uh, the history interview was on the first day of interviews while I was down there um, and that was actually quite different to what I expected. I expected quite a general interview, like why would you want, why do you want to study history, questions like that. But maybe a couple of things on my personal statement. But it was all on my written work. Uh, the actual essay I submitted, uh, every question was on that. Um, and what was that essay? The essay was about the long-term causes of the First World War, okay. um, with a hundred-year context. Um, and that was something I obviously I'd, I was familiar with because I'd written for my coursework. Um, so, Can you give us an example of a question you asked you? Well, one of the, one of the factors I mentioned was a rise in liberalism uh, in Europe. And one of the questions basically was, uh, to you, what, what is liberalism? What, do, what does it mean to you? Um, and that was basically, I just, I just said, well, obviously, everyone, a lot of people give different definitions of liberalism. And that's one of the things history applicants often have to be prepared for. It's, say you get uh, a question about how political something is, well, you have to define what, what, what political is because you can't answer the question without that. Um, so it's basically that. And then, obviously, a lot of the arguments I've made in my essay, he sort of almost played devil's advocate against those arguments and tried to get me to express my views and justify why I put them in. Um, so that was sort of stuff with, with doing A-level history, that stuff I'm kind of familiar with anyway, so I felt quite comfortable with that interview. Um, but it, it did surprise me that it was only on written work because mm-hmm. I did expect more variety than that. But 
it wasn't a it wasn't a negative point of it because obviously I'm familiar with the, the work I submitted, so I felt quite strong on that. Um, and then the second interview was the economics one, which was the day after. Um, that was I was basically given reader material before I went into the interview, which was about climate change, um, uh, which was obviously with it being quite topical with, with the Paris talks. Um, and basically, it was assumed that there were three countries in the world. I think it was North south and east um, and it was the um, emission figures as a percentage of GDP for each of those three nations uh, and then it was told that talks would be held in Paris which was a major city in the north um, and there was a list of questions at the bottom about the source, I think it was six questions something like that and it, it, was, it was stuff like there was either an option to limit the temperature rise uh, worldwide to two degrees or let it drag on to four degrees um, and what would be the benefits of each uh, and it was basically questions like that about how you understood the source um, which because it was all based on one source I didn't really expect that yeah. um, it was quite a short source as well uh, and some parts of the interview I felt like uh, he thought I was maybe going slightly off topic and he kept sort of pulling me back to the question but I think possibly that was maybe a technique for interview to try and get me to give different points of view Right. Okay. Um, there was one um, sort of, at first I thought it was a maths element, but it was basically if you can limit the temperatures to two degrees or let it rise by four degrees, what would be the optimal temperature rise? Oh. And at first I was sort of confused because obviously I didn't have any anything to help me with my calculations particularly. Um, but then I realised basically all they wanted was an assumption. Right. So you just got to assume that the, the best temperature would be between two and four degrees somewhere. Uh, and the answer ended up being as simple as that, that you would just assume that the actual optimal temperature lies between those two figures. That's interesting. And again, that goes back to Ben's point. This yeah. When you can't answer questions, making yeah. assumptions and stating them seems to be the yeah. way forward. That's interesting. Well, to, let's let's wrap things up here just by, by looking back. So imagine you were, it was a year ago or two years ago, and you're starting this process all again, whether it's applying, choosing your subjects, writing your personal statement, preparing for interview, giving the interview or whatever. If you could do one thing differently, or if you could change one thing, what, what would it be? What would you do differently? Ben, do you want to start from this? Is there anything you'd do differently about the whole process? Um... So I, I had to sit um, an admissions test for the part before it, and I think everyone did, but I was kind of pessimistic with getting an interview after my part, because I didn't think it went pretty well, but once I talked to everyone who sat the part, everyone think it went terribly as well, so... And how are you talking to people there? Um, at, at the interview. At oh, the interview, but I see. I was pessimistic about getting an interview, so it kind of limit the amount I prepared for it. So I, I was... I, even though I, I was kind of waiting till they told me that I had an interview before I started preparing it, but I'd say prepare for it like just after your um, admissions test, just to get the more well-rounded, do more mock interviews, go through, especially for maths and physics, there's, on the student room, there's a hundred past um, maths questions on the student room, that's really good if you want to prepare for maths, that's what I did mostly, because it's all academic for me, so just go through past questions um, do the physics Olympiad papers, they're really good. Um, and make sure you know your syllabus for your admissions test. Um, yeah, and just do a lot of preparation for That's your interview. Really good advice, though, and especially the point about, and it's tough, isn't it? Because you didn't think your, your test, your pre test had gone well at all. Yeah. It's then hard to motivate yourself, right? To it is. To an interview that you don't think you're even going to get off. Just because the one I sat was by far the hardest they've ever done. 
But once I talked to everyone who else had done it, everyone felt the same way and was like, oh, I never thought I'd get an interview because it, I didn't even think I picked up a mark kind of thing. So that was kind of reassuring. And then the other thing I think that you said that was very interesting is, is the prep for the maths because none of us here, um, uh, none of you have um, applied for straight mathematics and yet three of the four of you have had maths questions as, as part of your interview. Yeah. And maths lends itself so well to interview questions because... There's kind of short answer questions. There's generally a right answer, and they can discuss it with you. So I think that's that's really good advice. Even people who studied like philosophy got asked math questions when I was there. So there you go. And, those definitely hundred, go through. and you said those t- hundred questions are now on the student. On room. the student, really. Recommend going there. Yeah, definitely. Uh, how about you, Nosh? Would you do anything different? I think it's quite similar to Ben's because I had to have the TSA. I didn't even know what the TSA was until like a day before what is I applied. The TSA? It's a thinking skills assessment, and it is it's like the step exam that um, the PAT. But it is very, it's multiple choice, and it the multiple choice answers are very closely mm. similar. So you could you could be right, but it won't be the one that they want. So I think I didn't prepare enough for that. I um, just because I didn't actually think um, it would be as hard as it was. And um, I think there are loads of past papers for that online on, on the Oxford website. So I think pre- preparation for that, and when I did my application. It, it did feel quite rushed. I think when you get close to the time, it got very panicky, and I think I would have started that a lot earlier if I was doing it wrong. Okay, thanks, Josh. Rob, here we go. Right, so uh, what I would have done differently, uh, I probably wouldn't have left my personal statement three days before deadline. <laughs> so, uh, maybe, yeah. maybe. <laughs> just yeah. maybe. Maybe, maybe four days before. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I just caused a lot of unnecessary stress for myself, so I just left it really late, and then I have, like, teacher Mark's personal statement say, like, my roommate, like, every day for, like, two weeks. I should have started in summer, really, just get out of the way, and then you've got a lot of time to, like, uh, like review it, you can talk to people about it, like, see what other teachers think about it, that's probably what I would have done differently. Okay, thanks, Rob. Uh, Joe? Um, probably the probably the main thing I would have done differently was I was quite worried about the history aptitude test just because no one's actually applied for history from this college in quite a long time so teachers obviously have limited experience preparing people for that but when I came to sit it I think that what I realised was that if your essay skills are strong then the content of the content of the aptitude test isn't too bad as long as you've discussed it with teachers beforehand so rather than actually doing the past papers we got the questions up and actually discussed them with my history teacher rather than actually writing answers out um, because I think talking about it it puts you in the right frame of mind to then think about getting getting answers down on paper uh, I did one aptitude test in preparation and but again without any kind of there's a, there is a marking scheme available but with, with limited uh, preparation from teachers it's, it's hard to know exactly how you've done so I think if you if you get to the point where you're doing an aptitude test, it's probably best to just try and, in a way, enjoy it because there's not much else you can do. Um, they are they're sort of they are hard, and it's it's just a case of if you're good at your subject, then you'll you most likely will do well in it. And preparation is important, but I think it's not always about doing past papers for for subjects like history and um, economics to some extent. That's a, re- a really interesting point of view there, Joe. And I think the, the kind of overriding writing message coming through from this is, and it's a bit cliche, and we say it all the time, but you've, you've all said it, the preparation is the key. Starting early is the key. I think doing mock interviews, just getting used to speaking about things is, is the key to it. Knowing your subject inside and out. 
not Ben's point about if you have to do a, a pre-test and it doesn't go well, not assuming it's all over because the chances are if you're applying for Oxford and Cambridge, you're good enough to, to, to do it. So if you found it hard, everybody else is going to have found it hard. So just trying to get in that positive mindset. And I think the other thing that I just, just add to that is you, just to make sure that you come across an interview that you enjoy your subject. I think that's so, so important. Most of the people um, in your interview will be as good as you will be. And it's just setting yourself apart because the people interviewing you may well be the people who will be working close with you for the next two to three years. They've got to like you and they, they've got to know that you're passionate about the subject that they've dedicated their entire careers to. So you only apply for a subject if you genuinely like it and love it and not just because you think it's the, it's the right thing to do. So I want to thank my esteemed guests here. Yeah. So we've got Ben, we've got Joe, we've got Mush and Rob. Thanks for it's the last day of uh, last day of term here before Christmas, and uh, they've been very reluctantly. I've pulled them out of the end of term assembly. So thanks for <laughs> giving up your time there. And we will let our listeners know how we all get on when the uh, when the results come back. So thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a depressing podcast. <laughs> thank you so much, you So there you have it. I hope you found that both useful and interesting. Whether you're a teacher who has students who are thinking of applying for Oxford or Cambridge, or you're a student yourself thinking of starting the application process or preparing for interview. I think there were plenty of good pieces of advice in there from students who've been through this process very recently themselves. Before I say goodbye, there's just time for our podcast puzzle. And for this, I've chosen a question that one of our students was asked as part of their economics interview. So I'm going to hand over now to Mr. Rob Singlehurst. Right, so you've got three friends and there's a coin flip. The coin's flipped in the air and the f- all three friends know the outcome of what the coin will land as. But each friend has a tendency to lie a third of the time. Now they, see, they all see the outcome of the coin and they all tell you it's heads. What's the probability that it actually is heads? All that's left for me to do is to once again thank our special guests, Ben Norris, Joe Marshall, Rob Singlehurst, Nesheba Mohammed, and special guest producer Sam Dean, who is in no way doing this just to get out of assembly himself. And thanks also to podcastthemes.com for the lovely jazzy music throughout the show. For comments and questions, or to just say hello, you can find me on Twitter, where I am at MrBartonMaths, or on email via teachers at MrBartonMaths.com. Please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or your chosen podcast platform. And if you could help spread the word about this podcast, that will be hugely appreciated. I will return next episode with another dose of mathematical goodness. So take care and bye for now.